Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mixtape Memories. Memories. I'm Jenners. I'm Matt Hartspeed. And we have a very special guest today, Marnie Wander Ashby on the show. Yay! (laughs) Um, You may know her uh, currently as VP of Marketing and Business Development at The Syndicate, and formerly owner, founder of Sneak Attack Media, and she also does some work in the uh, holistic health space for the music industry through Equilibrium, and we'll talk about all that a little later, but you know, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Welcome. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so... You know, I wanted to, you know, first kind of ask you about like the early days and, you know, how your interest in music kind of grew at first and what your kind of earliest music memories were. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my both my parents played music when they were teens and 20s kind of before I was born, obviously. <laughs> Most parents are <laughs> in their teens before they're born. Yeah, we just had a lot of music in the house growing up. So there was always music playing. Um, Every Sunday, you know, would be like whatever was on the specific radio station that my parents listened to. And we had, um, you know, a record player in the living room that was just, you know, tons and tons of my parents' records that I would steal as I got older and make little mixtapes out of them and tape them to my, you know, use my, my record player tape deck radio situation to make tapes out of their records. But yeah, there was a lot of Lou Reed, a lot of Rolling Stones, of course, the Beatles, Joni Mitchell, and, you know, a lot of like classic rock as well. But then like then into the 80s with like the Cars, like these are all records and and bands that like there's videos of my sister and I dancing to like the Cars and, you know, like Glenn Frey and and stuff like that. (laughs) Oh, That's cool that they were musicians. Like, I actually didn't know that. Like, so what kind of stuff did they play? And, like, did, did they ever, like, kind of bring you into that? You know, you kind of saw, like, them kind of creating music and stuff like that? Not really. I mean, my bo- they were both in bands in New York, like, you know, when they were younger. My dad, I think he was the singer. Um, most of the time my mom played guitar and piano um, and she was always in bands with like her girlfriends and she played protest songs at her wedding wedding (laughs) and had her guitar but she became a music teacher later on after she was a nurse for a long time so she I would see you know she always wrote songs she wrote songs for you know me and my sister when we were babies and we would like sing the songs that she wrote for us when she was pregnant with us, with her, um, and she taught me how to sing. I miraculously don't know how to play an instrument. Like, it's amazing that I don't play guitar with the amount of music that was around me growing up. But, you know, she definitely taught me to sing and and harmonize, and uh, we sang a lot of stuff together. And she would write, you know, kids' songs as she was, you know, she started doing more stuff um, with her she was a pre, I think I said she was a pre, preschool music teacher, so she made a kids album um, oh, cool. as she got older. And yeah, she's she's a really amazing lady. Oh, that's awesome. I was wondering what kind of stuff you were listening to once you kind of developed your own music taste as a teenager and in your early 20s and starting to see gigs and whatnot. What were you into that you can recall from that period? I feel like from 
high school into college and then into like living in New York. So I moved to New York when I was, I guess, 21. I mean, it, I, it was a lot of like from the 90s into the early 2000s. It was a lot of like Tori Amos, Ani DeFranco, a lot mm-hmm. of Ani DeFranco, PJ Harvey, Letters to Cleo, and then into like, you know, Jeff Buckley. I feel like that stuff kind of carried through. Like I listened to the stuff that I listened to in college when I moved to New York for a while because I wasn't in the music industry when I first moved to New York. It wasn't until like a couple of years into my living in New York that I joined the music industry. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was a lot of a lot of Jeff Buckley for sure. <laughs> what and, brought you and- <laughs> to New York um, if it wasn't the music industry? I came to New York to be an actor and a oh. dancer. Oh. And yeah, little known life before music. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So, and then like, how did you like transition into like working in the music industry from that? So I, I was in theater and stuff my entire life and dance and that was all I ever wanted to do that was all I ever even considered doing I majored in theater in college I graduated early and moved up to New York and you know I was doing auditions did a tour did you know all these things independent films blah 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 and then I just woke up one day and was like I don't like this life Mm. this is terrible and I just I had there was an actor that came to one of our master classes one time and said it's actually Richard Kind who was really cool and he said if you ever have a feeling like this isn't for you if you're not like wholeheartedly into this it's don't do it because it's too hard if your heart's not in it and I was like not me like no I'm never gonna feel like that and that day that I woke up and I was like in my early 20s my very early 20s maybe 22 and I was just like I'm done like I'm gonna take a break and I was like well shit like what else do I like to do this is all I wanted to do my whole life Mm. and I'm sick of it already (laughs) (laughs) and I always loved music and I always loved my friends were always in bands and I always used to help them you know with their stuff and you know just was very intrigued by the whole process and my cousin actually I just all I knew about him I was I didn't really know him too well growing up but all I knew about him was that he was a music manager he managed uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers in the 90s so I just knew that that was a job that one could have mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and I saw an ad on Craigslist for a music management company that was looking for an intern and I was like okay I'm gonna do that and I did and I they hired me as an intern and I just stayed until they hired me full time, I just kept showing up, <laughs> <laughs> and I got a lot of experience at that. We worked with um, Tracy Bonham. Nice. We worked with Local H, um, the Fire Theft, who were a band made up of the members of Sunny Real Estate mm-hmm. and uh, Morningwood. Yeah, a bunch of really awesome bands. So that's oh, kind of wow. how I got my foot in the door, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> And then at what point did Sneak Attack become a reality? Was it something that you kind of had in the back of your head at that time? No, not at all. I, 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 I think that um, I always say that I like started a company by accident. <laughs> I <laughs> worked in the, music, in the management company for a couple years. And then I went to work for a small label group doing marketing and publicity. I will say like in, in that label environment I started realizing that I was really excited about what we used to call new media (laughs) Uh (laughs) that term really disappeared in recent years (laughs) really didn't age well yeah like new media what does that even mean but yeah I was super intrigued by like you know all the digital forms of publicity and you know obviously my space at the time it was 2005 2006 and I was just like I even remember calling up a friend who was a web developer at the time and being like, we should start a MySpace that's just for music. Like, what a moron. Like, I'm just like, yeah, let's do this. (laughs) Yeah, I just was like, started to be, you know, really intrigued by that. And then I, you know, left the label and started freelancing. A friend of mine, Eric Speck, who I'm sure you guys know, he had a label called Ace Foo, amazing label that I loved. Mm -hmm. 
he needed some help. He was putting out the vinyl of a band called Priestess that we were both super big fans of. And yeah. was also, he was also, the label was doing, supposed to be doing the digital marketing for the band. And so he was like, hey, can you do the digital marketing? Can I like hire you as the, and I'm like, wait, like you can do that? Like you can do just the digital part of marketing? That's amazing. That's kind of what I want to do. And so I did, I worked with, with him and RCA on that record. And then there was another band on Ace Foo called Annuals. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I ended up working on that record, and then it just kind of was like, oh, I think I can do this for other bands. <laughs> I think maybe I'll try this for a while until I find – I thought I was going to do it until I found my next job. Yeah. And I did it for 12 years until <laughs> until my company was acquired. <laughs> I know. I was, like, so impressed that you had, like, run it for so long because I feel like when we kind of, like – last talked about the whole history of that company sneak attack um you were like yeah i've been doing it for like a decade and i was like oh my gosh (laughs) that's such a long time and like doing it really successfully and it's no wonder that it got acquired by you know it's just the syndicate so like you know it was seems like that was maybe the next logical step for you or like how did that come about Yeah, I think, you know, over the years, obviously, there were moments, you know, talking to other companies and seeing if there was an opportunity for partnership and, you know, nothing was really quite the right fit or it wasn't the right time or, you know, I was just kind of like, it's like my baby, like, I don't know, you know. And then I guess 2017, what seems like ages ago, and it was not that long ago, it's crazy, I Basically, because Sneak Attack eventually became sort of like, it was a digital marketing agency that kind of sat in the middle of online PR, social media, and like digital marketing, meaning like, you know, we would do creative brand partnerships and we would do, you know, anything that sort of was creatively getting our artists uh, work to a, a new audience. So, you know really you know just thinking about things in a little bit of a different way it's so like talking to brands as if they were like PR outlets in a way and you know let's premiere this video with this record player mm-hmm. brand or you know whatever I basically reached a point where I just I didn't really want to do the PR part of it anymore I wanted to really focus on the digital marketing and the social media part um, uh, just because the PR landscape has, had changed so much and it, it was hard to kind of like divide among all those different things and I wanted to just focus on on the marketing. But I had, you know, clients at the time. I had people that I, we were doing publicity for. I still had people coming to me and saying, hey, can you, you know, do this, do this PR campaign? So I always respected the syndicate. I always used to like, you know, every so often I'd meet up with John Landman, one of the partners, and we'd be like, oh, we should work together. We should do something together. And I can't even remember how we connected or what the process was. However, we got to that point, I just remember being like, oh, this makes sense. So I was like, hey, you know, like I'm not going to be doing the PR portion of this, but you have a great PR department. Like maybe you could be the sister company and like I could pass the PR stuff over to you so I know it has like a good home you know and Mm -hmm. I don't have to be like oh no I you know so so he was like yeah that sounds great so we did that for a number of months and then at some point it you know he came to me and said hey you know we've actually been also you know really enjoyed working together and we've also been figuring out how, how to flesh out our digital marketing offerings and like maybe it makes sense for us to like be you know kind of more integrated and it you know and I loved them so it felt great and I was like yeah this is awesome so it finally was like oh this is perfect yes this works this is awesome but at the same time it probably was a little challenging like letting go of something that you built up on your own you know joining forces in a sense it was but I think it would have been more challenging earlier on I think Mm -hmm. that at that point I was like a lot a lot of me was like this it would be super cool to like have a partner in doing this and have you know more of uh an infrastructure than just me providing the infrastructure um because running everyone is always like oh like is starting a company hard and i always say like no starting a company is really easy running a company is hard running a company Mm -hmm. for a long time is hard because it just takes a lot out of you over time and i you know when you're the only one 
owner of it, you know, there's just a lot of things that you have to keep track of. And and like there there are days that it's like the best thing in the world and there are days that it's like, oh, this is so hard. But obviously over 12 years, there were more days that it was the most, the best thing in the world. And then, you know, it just felt like the right fit. So of course there was part of me that was just like, do I get a tattoo of the logo like somewhere on me? Like how do I commemorate, you know, like whatever. But I think that because it felt like such a perfect fit and like I, you know, I got to bring my whole team and like they had a new home. It was kind of like the Brady Bunch, you know? Yeah. So it actually was really, really good. Yeah. I mean, I totally hear you. Like I think when it's all on your shoulders to like make the machine run, it's like, takes a lot of work and it's a really long time so sometimes it feels nice to just be like oh yes <laughs> like, mm-hmm. let's get some more <laughs> more um you know structure and like uh, a little bit of help and stuff it feels good to be part of a team too sometimes you know I think that was it yeah I had never like had co-workers well I mean obviously before my before I started sneak attack I did but you know, you're never someone's coworker. You're their boss. You know, you're the owner. Yeah. It like stops with you, and that's just a different. You know, and I have like amazing. Like my team, always the people that worked at Sneak Attack were amazing. They were always incredible people, and you know, but like I'm still their boss. You you're know, still and their it just, boss. Yeah. Yeah, it's like so. It's cool to have you know, coworkers, colleagues. You know. Yeah. I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of the questions we had for you was kind of how things have been the last year during the pandemic and how your work has shifted in this partnership. Yeah. Last year is crazy. It's still crazy. It's still crazy. And it's going to be for a little while longer. Yeah. It definitely will be. It's funny because I feel like I I keep phrasing it the way you did, like this past year, because it doesn't (laughs) feel like you can't say last year, like we're still in this crazy long year. Yeah. So, I mean, at the beginning and today I realized is the last, day that we were in the office yeah ago. I realized that um as well uh, over the last year I kind of lost my day job and started my own thing so I, I yeah I'm kind of in a boat maybe you were in you know way back kind of starting from scratch I guess but um yeah it's I realized that it was a year to the day that I had uh pretty much told my colleagues I was like I'm not coming in anymore this sounds like it's going to be real and then pretty much everyone followed suit the next day yeah yeah yeah. yeah, it was, I, we, you know, had all been told like, you know what, just take your laptops home today. Um, we'll figure it like, well, we were like, let's check in on Monday, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then on Monday it was like, let's check in in a week. And then it was like, you know, a year later, yeah. but, um, <laughs> had we all known, but yeah, I mean, it was crazy because, you know, we had, I will say like, it's kind of amazing, um, that most of our most of our our digital campaigns that we had going on i will say like maybe two of our campaigns like people canceled the the campaign or just said i'm not putting out the record or i can't afford to have digital marketing on right now but the majority of the the work that we were doing on the digital side stuck which is incredible and i still can't believe it um that's awesome but you know obviously we have the what we call the irl side of our marketing department (laughs) where you know we had like tons of um, street team campaigns at South by and all these things that just were not not happening so the the folks in the marketing department are incredible and you know we all kind of started figuring out other offerings that we could do and they started learning you know some of the digital stuff so we kind of ended up with this amazing hybrid team that can do anything um, because all the you know we're sort of everyone's learning all these new skills and how to do an influencer campaign and how to run strategic partnerships and how to do social media and even even with that you know we spent some time in in the spring and even a little bit of the summer kind of you know training people and and you know everybody collaborating which is really beautiful but it still took a minute because april i mean it was just hard to like we had the campaigns that we had but then it was really hard to you know to onboard new campaigns because people were so scared they just didn't know like people weren't putting out their records because they were like well who am I putting my record out to? I can't tour. I don't know what to do. Or they like, like, you know, like you're saying, like they lost their job and they were like, well, I can't afford to hire a marketing company right now. So then I guess, you know, in the, in the summer things kind of turned and people were, what I, what I imagine is people just, you know, realized 
all right, this isn't going to go away. I have to put my record out. I have to keep going with what I was going to do. Um, and so people started planning releases, and that's why obviously everyone in the, on the planet released a record in like September, October mm -hmm. last year. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, people were starting to kind of get back into the swing of, okay, I need to, I need to promote this thing because I want to give it the best shot. You know, like I'm ready to do live streaming. I'm ready to get on Instagram Live. Like all these things, you know, that maybe they had been hesitant to do before. They were seeing the value in it. And we were there to help them through it and teach them how to do it. We saw some really cool things happen, you know, really creative ways of using all these platforms and, you know, doing things that maybe people weren't 100% comfortable with before. So you saw a lot of people going forth with like their album releases and I feel like also you know they had to do something to like make money and get press and you know because they couldn't tour anymore so you know and then were you also like did you say you were also like helping people kind of find platforms to kind of perform virtually and stuff too yeah so at, at, at the beginning, we were kind of doing a lot of stuff. Fans in Town had launched a really cool, like, kind of concert series. And at the very beginning, they were kind of, they had, like, a night where they would have up-and-coming artists. And then they'd have a night where they were doing, you know, some other types of bands. And um, so there were all these opportunities. Basically, like, our company put together, like, pooled, you know, a list of all these different places that were pooling that were streaming, that were doing live streams and doing, you know, kind of live stream festivals and stuff like that. And so between like the PR department and our department and, you know, we would, you know, be pitching. Everybody was like an online booking agent all of a sudden. It was like, <laughs> you know, just like, where can you get your band's opportunities? And most of them, you know, are just for exposure. You know, it's not like they were getting paid for these opportunities. Although, you know, I think on the on the brand partnership side of things, you know, some of, some of those opportunities offered some like you know some money for doing you know playing some songs on, a, on an Instagram live or you know something like that but it, yeah it was kind of like all of a sudden it was just like all right let's figure this out you know but I think that's what you have to do anyway normally it's just kind of like you know this was definitely everyone in the same boat it wasn't you know everyone yeah. being thrown this this massive curveball and just being like oh all right, I guess, uh, which is kind of really cool. Like thinking back on it, you know, almost a year later, <laughs> just yeah. seeing how fast everybody moved in terms of like, you know, just shifting gears and doing creative things and doing, you know, interesting collabs and like the music videos that came out of those first few months, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so cool. Like the Tao and the Get Down did like that oh, really yeah. cool that zoom video. video that they did yeah. i thought that was really cool and just so like cool using like the circumstances to like inspire some art you know and it is kind of interesting to see like how people turned like this like lockdown pandemic kind of zoom experience into and expressed it through like different kind of art forms and stuff and also just like all the the political climate that also we went through this past year and and all of the the you know like black lives matters movement the trans movement and just like now like anti-asian violence um and and it's kind of pushes people i feel like to kind of um, find a way to kind of more express themselves in a virtual way yeah, I agree. I think that that, you know, when you look at the good things that came out of a really heavy, really hard year in so many ways, I mean, the amount of ways that it was difficult and horrible, <laughs> it's yeah. like mm -hmm. amazing. But um, when you, you know, looking at the looking at the good things and looking at like the ways that people, you know, have been driven to action whereas yeah. you know they might have been complacent before or just not paying attention you know or just feeling like things are okay you know and ob obviously they are not so you know whether it's because people had more time to take action or because they were finally aware of things they weren't aware of I think that if if that's how it had to happen I guess that's how it had to happen mm -hmm. but you know I think that that is a really really amazing thing and I'm, and I'm grateful for that you know because I feel like there's more conversations being being you know that are ha that are happening on 
online in real life you know but there's more forums for this there's more you know even just on social media I feel like more than ever there's just been and maybe I'm just more aware of it or maybe I just have more time to consume it but it does seem like there's just more action being taken unless Mm -hmm. you know I mean there is a lot of talk about stuff you know happening that could use a little bit more action but um, it does feel like there's just more education you know self-education more people sharing resources and more openness about stuff which I really it just feels cracked open in a way Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like mutual aid and like finding ways to support people, even if like, you know, Matt and I talked about this, like we love buying like people's merch <laughs> and just like finding a thing that somebody's selling and being like, uh, you know, I, I want to support you. I'll buy that T-shirt or I'll buy that like mask you're selling or, you know, like I, the other day I just like pre-ordered a book. <laughs> like I was just like just finding things to like just like little ways you know to just like help somebody during this period and I feel like every little thing that you can do is like I don't know like something to the good you know so yeah yeah definitely did you find like a thing about like you know when Bandcamp started doing like the the 100% to artists on Fridays thing did you find like an uptick in like people wanting to kind of like up that really suddenly released their albums like on Bandcamp Fridays or yeah and people bands were more you know vocal about posting about it and saying you know hey this is where you can find my album I mean there we you know that's we you know helped a lot of bands that were not that was one that became like one of the first things even if we weren't doing like a social media platform a digital platform campaign for a lot of our bands we would just automatically as soon as they onboarded with us, be like, are you on Bandcamp? Okay, here's, you need to be on Bandcamp because, you know, this is where you, especially obviously if there were indie bands. But yeah, it was all about, you know, kind of how do we get the word out about that? And then I think for the first time, a lot of bands were open to saying, you know, hey, I get 100% of the profits if you buy it on this date from this platform instead of, yeah, go find my mu- my band wherever you listen to music. It, you know, is a little right. bit more specific and they were posting about it. And obviously with the bands that we were doing social media for, we were encouraging them to do so. But I just noticed that a lot of bands were doing that or they mm-hmm. would specifically drive traffic to Bandcamp. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk a little bit about Equilibrium? I guess, can yeah. you kind of give us and the listeners um, a kind of a description of what it is and how it kind of came about? So I've always had a really deep interest in health and wellness and, you know, alternative health therapies and modalities and stuff. And I, you know, had my own health issues and, and, you know, did a lot of work and, and experimentation to, you know, kind of heal them without, you know, with, with natural remedies and really with, with food and diet and exercise and lifestyle changes. And at, some point I became I got my certification as a holistic health coach and then I I just have always really wanted to do something in the music industry to kind of bridge that gap because especially when I was in management but then even after that I would just you know talk to bands all the time that just were you know either injured or sick or you know experienced hearing loss or you know lost like had vocal health issues on the road or you know and I just found that as I would talk to bands I would, you know, we'd start talking about like their album or whatever. And then I'd be like, are you drinking enough water? Like, are you, you know, like, are you feeling yeah. okay? And, you know, all of our conversations ended up being about that. And so I wanted to do something. Um, I didn't know if it was like an event or like a summit. I had all these ideas of things to do. And then did like a small thing with um, women in music, like a stress relief kind of workshop. But it just, you know, kind of kept popping up in my mind. And then Nicole Blonder, who used to work at Mute uh, Records, mm-hmm. um, and it's funny because, like, she and I were both, like, always in the same, like, orbit, but we had never met. Um, someone had told her to reach out to me because she had left Mute, and she also had graduated the same health coaching program that I did. And uh, we they just were like, you guys should talk because, like, you're talking about doing this, and Marnie's been talking about doing this, and, and I just didn't have – the bandwidth so I kept swirling around these ideas but she was like listen I just left the label like I want to do this and we were like great so 
we just started tossing around ideas for what this this could look like um and you know came up with the name and then like i made a logo and it just became a thing and we really started it as it being like an event series so you know kind of putting on events that had people in the industry that cared about health and wellness and talking about like just keeping the conversation going you know it was happening a little bit on the mental health side and we really wanted to make sure that it moved forward in a holistic health way you know like to make sure that people were talking about how your physical health health helps you you know influences your mental health and vice versa and there's all these very unique challenges in the music industry with artists being out on the road for long periods of time and you know having limited you know things that they can eat on the road I mean it's definitely better now than it used to be but you know late nights writers like how do you plan ahead and how do you eat healthy especially you have dietary restrictions and things like that how do you keep your body healthy and your voice and then on the industry side you know late nights open bars um yeah of course (laughs) remember those um you know and like going from show to show or going from work to a show and not eating and then then eating like the worst things and just Mm -hmm. rinse repeat right so and then we sort of started evolving what equilibrium is and really kind of wanted to make it more more than just you know events but you know how do we keep this conversation going and how do we provide resources to the industry we started like this um meditation and breathing breathwork instagram live series that we did for a good chunk of the pandemic so every wednesday at 3 p.m we would go live either one of us or we would have a guest on and do like a little 10 to 15 minute guided meditation or breath work and people would meet us there and we'd you know all breathe together all meditate together and just take a break in our day and then we just put them all up on on our igtv so that they're archived there so now you know anybody can go there and you know experience these little mini breaks yeah. And then we've just had some amazing practitioners that have been kind of making videos and just providing free resources. I mean, that's so cool because I think that people do kind of need like a place they can go to kind of explore stuff like that because, you know, there's feelings of being overwhelmed. Like if you're working from home, that's a whole other level of stress. Um, yeah. How do you separate home and work when you work from home? And <laughs> if you're not working, then you have this whole other kind of stress of like, will I ever find work? Will my industry get back in action? And like, you know, all of that, uh, like depressed feelings that could come from that. So I feel like that's pretty that you can offer that and people can kind of go there and at least have a moment of like you know getting to a calmer state Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because I think that's really it is like normally we're experiencing such a high level of chronic stress you know the industry itself I mean not this is not the only industry that can be stressful you know and it's certainly a lot of fun but you know there's there's you know, I mean, it's there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of unpredictability. There's a lot of, like, you're running on adrenaline a lot of times. There's a lot of, like, last minute, you know, no budget, things that need to happen right now. Like, there's just a lot of that. And it's very exciting. But when your body is in a state of chronic stress, even if it's, like, even if you're enjoying it, like, a lot of us do function off of, like, yeah. high stress. Like, there's we... a adrenaline to it sometimes, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. Exactly. And that's it's not healthy for our bodies to be functioning on adrenaline you know it's not <laughs> i never thought about it that way but it makes sense. <laughs> when you're young you're like it's all adrenaline <laughs> totally and you're yeah, like but then it catches up with you yeah. exactly that's <laughs> true yeah no i uh i went to like one of like uh you were talking in some room in clubhouse and um it was like a wellness room and like uh, I remember like eating uh while I was like, <laughs> listening to it and then like you literally was like it's not good to eat at your desk like or like, <laughs> while you're working and stressed out because like your body will literally not digest no, it's very I mean I've heard that before too and I'm the worst I don't follow that rule but I really I should. don't either and I should and I'm trying but it's yeah. when I do it's a game changer but yes I I am fully aware of not of the you know of why we shouldn't do it and then yet i'm like oh but just 
I just need to get this one done. It's really hard to yeah. not do anything and just eat, which is crazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's so weird <laughs> to think it's about so, that. But it's like use eating meals as like a meditation and kind of just be like, mm. okay, I'm going to sit down. I do take a deep breath before I eat any meal, even if it is at my desk while I'm doing <laughs> work. But I do try to just go, okay. Like we're just going to reset because I just want my body to be like, okay to eat Mm -hmm. and then i might read a stressful email but that's on me but you know (laughs) it is it is something to uh try to work into our repertoire i know know. i've actually been like trying to um turn off more notifications on my phone so like yeah you know like uh i don't know i was telling matt earlier i was like i had to turn off my notifications on clubhouse which is like that like i'm on that often but like the notifications are out of control It's too much. I had them on too, and I was like, oh, well, I don't really look at it, so it's fine. Like, if I look at it, then I'll get the note. But I I was like, I can't anymore. (laughs) No, it's, like, ridiculous. That's something I have to say I've done early on. Like, early into smartphone, you know, life, I turned off notifications for almost everything. If I want to hop into a certain app, I'll hop into it when I feel like it. Yeah. And I have to be honest, like... Jen and I are in a, a Slack group. Slack is my, I hate Slack. I'm sorry. And like the notifications, the at here and everybody gets the damn message. And nobody wants to, I hate it. So I'm, everyone's muted. I'm always that person who has like the triple Z. I'm always sleeping. I'm always not there. <laughs> Perpetually triple Z, not triple Z. Yeah, exactly. I'm like the opposite. I like turn everybody on to Slack. I'm like, come on, let's. Let's get on I was Slack. so resistant to Slack with sneak attack. I was like, oh, God, somebody told me about it. And I was like, oh, like <laughs> another thing. And I was like, I can't. But I, I have a love hate relationship with it. Like, I do love it. I do. It has it does cut down on a lot of emails, which I appreciate internal emails where it's like, yeah. you know, 30, 30. Oh, my gosh. Email thread. Totally. But yeah, it, it, it can be extremely distracting and I do try to like mute some of the channels, but I also like need to know what's going on. So it is, it's a balance, but I'm, I'm bad at like putting up notifications when like I'm eating lunch or, you know. Oh yeah, like, I never remember to do that. <laughs> I try to do it just so that, you know, and then I try to like put the notification and like actually walk away from my two devices that Slack is on. Yeah. For like five minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's good. I mean, you definitely need to like, I think I've found that I definitely need to like force myself to just like take a break and like walk into the living room, get some mm-hmm. sunlight on me. Yeah. Stick like, your head out the window. Walk back yeah. into the cave uh, to do work. <laughs> but like, it's the room I work in is like literally a cave it's so dark um (laughs) there's no sunlight um but yeah no i mean i think it's important and i think you know mental wellness body health wellness like has really like risen the awareness of it has risen during the pandemic because everybody's in kind of a mental and health crisis right now so i think it's like cool that you're you know an advocate for that and giving people some tips and tools that might they might not get otherwise you know mm-hmm. i think we should hop into repeat skip yes um and the first album we're going to cover is uh pj harvey's seminal release rid of me from 1993 Marnie, why did you choose this release? I love this record so much, and mm-hmm. I love PJ Harvey so much. I remember buying this record from my favorite used CD store in the 90s. I guess it must have been like 94 or 5, probably. Probably, yeah. Like, yeah, that sounds right, because then it would have been, you know, there. And, and I, you know... Just remember, I would go there all the time. Like, it must have been 95 because I guess that's when I was driving. And I would go there, you know, and just look at what was new. And, you know, we all did this. It was just, like, the happiest place. Like, it was just all this music and all these things I had never heard of. And I would literally, like, 
buy things just because the cover was cool because you couldn't listen to them you know it's just yeah. like whatever so I I don't even remember if I had heard a song on the record or if I just liked it or if I knew her but I, I have no idea because at that time I was also probably listening to like well all the bands that we were talking about before but then also like Juliana Hatfield like so much Juliana Hatfield and like Front Day and stuff like that it was like mostly women that I was listening to in the 90s I don't know I saw it and I, I just remember buying it and I just listened to it so much and I have this just this memory of listening to it in my car you know just driving home from like a friend's house late at night in suburbia in South Florida you know like it's the middle of the night so it's like the only time that it's actually kind of cool or cold mm. you know if it was like winter break or um well, I guess we were in high school then so it wouldn't have been winter break I have no idea but I was just the image of whenever I hear this record I'm in my car and it's dark and it's it's just I'm screaming along with the lyrics and it's just like a visceral record to me yeah it's a very raw release in general and yeah. at, at, at moments I mean I would maybe use the word aggressive at certain points as well oh yeah which I think is what adds to the charm of it yeah. yeah, and then I think later on reading about, like, how it was recorded and, you know, like, just, like, learning who Steve Albini was, like, later in my life, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I get it, and it, un- I understood why it just, like, hit me so hard, you know, as a yeah. late teen, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, like, yeah, just even, like, looking at the cover, like you said, like, it's such a, like, stark image it's like definitely like a statement and there's definitely like some kind of rebelliousness that she's like exuding in the picture and then she has this kind of like i don't give a fuck kind of like look on her face and then i was like reading that i think it was like a friend of hers took that photo and it was taken in the dark and yeah so you just see like that moment when the flash goes off and uh the record label was like complaining about certain qualities of the picture and she was like it's supposed to be that way basically <laughs> yeah weren't they like pissed that the there was like a leaf a leaf from the plant or whatever like it wasn't yes. and she's like that's the photo <laughs> <laughs> it's on purpose <laughs> um yeah no um i know like i just feel like this was the album also that i was like paying attention to pj harvey and she was on MTV, and, uh, you know, I remember seeing uh, the video for 50-foot Queenie and, like, just being like, who is this? Yeah. <laughs> and um, and she know. was so mysterious, too. Like, it, mm-hmm. you know, you, and before the internet, like, you, you can't really find that much about her, you know? She was just, like, this force. Yeah. And just, I don't know, there was always, like, this, you know, kind of elusiveness about her for me. Yeah, I kind of miss that in general, kind of not knowing everything and not having, you know, for artists not to have social media. You know what I mean? It's so unusual these days to not know things about them that you otherwise wouldn't have known in the 90s, you know? It's so true. There was a freedom about that. Like, I remember pouring over the lyrics to certain records. And, like, when when I got a record that didn't have the lyrics in it, I was like, oh. (laughs) Like, I have to just, like make up you know and like to this day there's so many records that i just like make up the i don't know what they were saying never occurred to me to look them up well now you can just google it i know and it's kind of like a cop out yeah like you know it's like one thing because you like you're interpreting it yourself like back in the day like just thinking whatever you thought the lyrics were and oftentimes you're wrong right (laughs) it meant something to you you exactly like oh oh and then you have to like think about the song all different like is that what they're saying (laughs) (laughs) um what was like your favorite like uh song off the album definitely missed i mean the whole album is amazing but missed i think i just that was like the me in my car singing along mm-hmm. jam. Both of your choices for this episode were, they have kind of like an aggressive 
tone to them <laughs> in different ways, obviously, yeah. but also like hearing about the history of like your career and like which bands you worked with in the beginning, like Priestess and stuff like that. You know, there is kind of like a music that where you're kind of like releasing a little bit in a <laughs> in angst. <laughs> This um, is good. I think this should be like a whole other show, like therapy, music therapy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, why did you choose this album? Interesting. What's going on for you? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but I think you're right. I mean, like, it's it's such an angsty album, but without being whiny. That I think yeah. that's why like it hit me so hard. And now I'm thinking like it could have been high school, but it also probably was early college. Like just there's a lot of stuff going on, no matter who you are at that point, that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you don't feel like you can get out and, you know, singing along to a song like missed, especially with like the drum beat. Like but it just I don't know, that that like rawness of the record of having it be like the music was in especially in that song was like so sparse and like her voice was so raw and so you know, and, and then the kind of juxtaposition of like the verses with the chorus of it being, you know, like slow and softer and then just really, really loud. So, yeah, there's probably a lot going on that, you know, I chose this record and then the other record. But <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Matt? What were um, what was the song you were into? Well, I first want to say that. Um, so I first fell in love with PJ Harvey on um, with To Bring You My Love in 95 and then kind of kind of went forward from there and then last season we had a discussion about my favorite pj harvey album by far which is stories i love Mm, stories um so some of this to be honest with you dry and rid of me are not my favorite pj records but obviously this one is so special my my two favorites were the obvious pick i feel like 50 foot queenie uh Mm. but also i really loved the dylan cover on this record and yeah I am not a Dylan fan, but it just worked. So, yeah, yeah those are my two picks. Yeah, I, um, I read that she covered that Dylan song because her parents were Dylan fans. Mm-hmm. And that afterwards she learned a lot about songwriting, trying to cover that song. So. That's interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so, you know, maybe that's, you know, maybe she kind of transitioned a little bit in her songwriting afterwards. Um but uh, yeah, no, I I also chose Fifty Foot Queenie. Um, I guess I'm pretty basic in that, but I think that's just because like I have attached memories to that, and you know, there, it, there's like a melodicness to it, but there's also like a strength to it that I re- I'm like really attracted to, and you know, like uh, I had read that one of her bandmates said that um, when they were recording that music video she was testing out a persona you know like what her stage persona would be you know with the leopard coat and the sunglasses and she's just like kind of traipsing around like kind of like in this like it's not even feminine though it's like it's like you know in a very kind of like powerful kind of stance and so i and and that they thought that it was like a um self-defense kind of thing like a survival thing on stage like to kind of I guess that happens to a lot of artists right like they assume a persona to kind of exude that through a performance Mm -hmm. and then you know when they're off stage it's like a little bit different but yeah like putting on a mask so they can like yeah kind of transform you know I thought this album was actually really great but uh did you have any skips from the album, Marnie? <laughs> I know you love it so much, so sometimes I do it's love hard it, for people to pick one. I would skip Man Size Sex Debt. I think it's just very it's I appreciate the song, but I think, you know, it's a little jarring in the middle of the where it is in the album and I just it's like uh I understand why, but it is like a little chaotic and frenzied and sometimes it's just too much. <laughs> Yeah, yeah that's, that's my pick, too, for a skip. Jen? Yeah, um, my skip was Snake. So I, I'm totally, like, off base, off <laughs> kilter with you guys. But, like, I just thought it was, like, very one-note screamy. And I particularly like when PJ Harvey goes, like, kind of 
vulnerable, emotional, and then kind of swings back into more aggressive stuff, like all in one song. Like I like when she has kind of like dips and you know a little bit yeah. more range in a song, and I feel like that's when it hits me more like you know effectively. I don't know. It's just like, like I, I gravitate towards those kind of sounds a little bit more than just screaming. <laughs> <laughs> so. I, I can see that too. It is not my favorite on the record. And I think because it's so close to the end that I probably just started it over when it got to, you know, around <laughs> that point anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or I got to my destination and I don't know. Should we move on to... Uh, Death from Above, 1979. <laughs> mm-hmm. Marty picked uh, "You're a Woman, I'm a Machine" from 2004. Came out on Vice. They were a Canadian band. Marty, why did you pick "Death from Above, 1979" for your second album? So I was thinking about this a lot, and I I had like all these. I was thinking about like what did I really listen to a lot during the early 2000s, like before you know like when I was just really discovering like what I liked about music and going to shows and like, you know, which band did I see a lot of? And it was this band. And I I now have like a very complicated relationship with this record because it is, especially with, (laughs) especially in comparison to the PJRV record that I picked, but it, you know, like how I feel, I mean, it is a complicated record anyway. I think just, as it's aged a little bit but at that point of you know when I was like going to shows I, I mean I would see them all the time like whenever they came to New York I would see them you know it was like the first time I ever saw a show in Greenpoint I think it's when I saw them something about them live and even just like listening to this record this particular record recorded it just hits so hard and and it's funny because like I didn't only listen to like heavy music like I don't think that I'm like even a heavy music person although I do like a lot of heavy music that's specifically heavy you know in different ways but this record for some reason I just like was so like wow like I don't know and it's funny because listening back and like when I was thinking about this I'm like do I even choose this because it's such a weird thing to say these days especially as a woman (laughs) working in the music industry but like the I wasn't even really listening to the lyrics like even if I knew what the lyrics were and I was singing them I would I never like looked it up I never was you know even yeah. like digging into it I just was like these songs fucking slay and I was just like just really right. enjoyed it and it's just kind of I thought it would bring it up because it's such an interesting thing looking back on how mu- how much I was into this band and then yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's definitely, like, bands that, like, you don't really pay attention to the lyrics. Like, they're not known for their, like, lyric writing or something like that. (laughs) It's mostly about the music, you know? And I think, like, you know, that era that they came out in in the aughts, like, it was was very it was like a very trendy kind of sound you know that people were all like jumping on um so i I can totally see like you know like people aren't like really like what is he singing (laughs) you know yeah like what do you mean yeah (laughs) just like rock it out to it and like getting other inner you know frustrations out or whatever it is that they're getting out of the music but I do have to say, like, listening back, I was kind of paying attention to the lyrics when I was listening <laughs> back, preparing for this. But um, I was like, oh, my gosh, they're so, like, into, like, se- like sex. It's all, like, sexual and, like, <laughs> I, was, I, I, I don't think remember. that's, yeah, most, most, if not all, of the record is about that. <laughs> yeah. But mm-hmm. I was, like, uh, reading the Pitchfork review of the album. They, they had called it, like, a breakup record. <laughs> and I was like, is this, like, the male version of it? it's really funny to think about um not the sensitive male breakup album opposite (laughs) whatever the opposite of that would be not the kind of music that i was listening to per se um you know but like there are definitely tracks like i remember from it like uh romantic rights but i felt like when i was looking up the lyrics to that song like it didn't like really age that well (laughs) 
<laughs> definitely did not age well. <laughs> yeah. Definitely did like, not. I like kind of like the music, but definitely don't like the lyrics on that. And <laughs> so that was just like my initial thought, like just like listening to it. What about you, Matt? Do you have any memories? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, That's I'm just gonna be blunt. I'm just gonna be blunt. I really don't enjoy this album at all, and I, <laughs> I never liked them. I'm I, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. Um, but what what did make me smile is that for the first time in a long time, just seeing that you picked this album made me think of the CSS song uh, "Let's Make Love and Listen to Death from Above," which was yeah. my jam. So <laughs> I'm love still that happy. Song. I just have nothing positive <laughs> to say about this album. <laughs> I just think it's like very like straight dude, aggressive, like every song sounds very similar to one another. Um, And I think personally, a lot of the lyrics are super offensive. Um, But I think it's an interesting pick for what you said, Marnie, where it's like revisiting an album that you once cherished and then kind of looking back at it and saying like, well, actually, maybe this was problematic or maybe like this this music symbolized something in my life at that time that I can't relate to anymore. So I yeah. think there's something to be said about that. And I think a lot of times when we're revisiting albums, the relationship has changed so much in the 15, 20, 25 years from the release. I, I kind of wish I had seen this band live when they were in their heyday, because I think that would have been a trip, but I could never really get into them. I, I don't know what to say. I just couldn't get into it. I don't know. It, did, it didn't like align with my taste very well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think they were very like had like a kind of very specific lane, and I can't even really remember like how I started listening to them. But I think like I wasn't really into like the the Arctic Monkeys and the you know those types of bands. And for some reason, this album really resonated with me because it was like it was that raw kind of you know heaviness. And I think this I sort of graduated into other bands that I then found and was like, oh, this is what I was looking for. But I found this and that's okay. You know, like mm-hmm. it just I kind of, you know, started listening to a lot of other bands that I just hadn't found at the time. Like, you know, I, the OCs, which is like, you know, they're yeah. like one of my favorite Love bands them. and not comparing them to this band. But I think that might have like I think, you know, just having a you know, leaning towards kind of heavier, raw or sounding music. I feel like this this album for me was like something to feel that too. But like, I feel like I was feeling a completely different thing than the album was about. And like, it was mm-hmm. just about me feeling this stuff, you know? And it was <laughs> just like yeah. had a big, a big, you know, impression on me in that way. But I really was like making my own thing about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. And like... I think there is something to like an album giving you a feeling, you know, at a certain point in time, you know, and then, you know, I feel like, you know, we were all like younger back then and like ran differently, you know, and and we're going through different feelings, you know, at the time. And this just resonated at the time, but it just doesn't, you know, sometimes they don't stand the test of time. Yeah. I mean, I still think that like it's a good album sonically but going back and listening to the lyrics I was like I almost was like don't even bring it up and then I was like I kind of want to because I kind of just feel like yeah talking about how it's such a weird yeah it was just a weird you know thing well I think it's also interesting to kind of reapproach this album strictly lyrically in 2021 versus 2000 when did it come out 2004 yeah like I don't know, would there have been more backlash to some of these song titles and lyrics now if it were to come out versus then, you know? It's kind of, it, it brings up a conversation of like the evolution of of kind of what's kosher and what's not kosher in terms of, um, you know, what can be said and, and what can be kind of argued in terms of, uh, I don't know, yeah. cancel culture, many things, you know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I don't know um, really anything about them as people um, or personally, but um, just uh, kind of learning the saga of like their band name <laughs> and like yeah, you know, <laughs> I know their letter. I didn't know that at the time either, and then like, came across that when I was like, wow, I was wow, like, oh, okay, um, <laughs> like they don't understand like trademark and 
um, how that could be confusing, and they were just basically like, fuck you, James Murphy. <laughs> like, I was like, well, yeah. that's a little immature. <laughs> but now Especially it's because like, he was like, I don't know, like, whatever, just stick a number on it, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, like, just do it. And then they were like, maybe we won't. Maybe we will. And then now they're back to having the number on, like, just the back and forth of losing the the numbers um, was, like, kind of hilarious to me. And I was just like, just stick with it, man. Like, don't make such a big deal out of it. Nobody else cares. Like, I know. I feel like looking back on them, and I'm not sure if it was, like, I do feel like, I do feel like if the internet was more of what it is now at that time. Yeah. I feel like I would have been like, and now. But looking back on it and seeing, like, was this just all for shock value? Do they still do that? Like, I don't know. You know, maybe that was, like, something that I was, like, impressed. Not impressed by, but just, like, just, like, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. whatever, you know. And, and it just, I think it's an interesting, like, tattoo on my musical journey in my life mm-hmm. of, like, why that, you know, why that made, why that stood out so much. But... Yeah, it, do, it does certainly feel like looking at, like, the titles of the songs, looking at the lyrics, looking at their behavior, it kind of does feel a little bit like a, are you just doing this so that people are, you know, are you making an impression? Are you trying to just shock people or, you know, who knows? We might mm-hmm. never know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually couldn't find much about, you know, like, the the inspirations, but except for that, like, Pitchfork called it a breakup album. And I was like... <laughs> Hmm, maybe that's a clue. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, and they're like coming out with like they're still they're still around. Like they're coming yeah. out with like a new. Yeah, that surprised album. me. I didn't realize that. And so, I guess we'll see like how they've evolved as like songwriters. Um, but uh, yeah, no, this, this has been a trip. Um, my favorite. I don't know. Oh, Marnie, what was your favorite on the album? If, you know, call it a repeat. Um, I like Blood on Our Hands. Yeah. And what about it, kind of, did you like about it? I think just melodically, like, I think, I think one of the reasons that I, that I liked this record in general is that it's, it's raw and, and hard, but it's melodic. Mm. Like, it's not just noise. It's not just loud or just, you know, and there's right. only two of them. So I think that's why seeing them live was so, so cool because, you know, you kind of have all of this noise coming from these two people. Yeah. Um, but that song particularly, I think, is just really melodic but still has, like, a lot of great instrumentation in it, too. Yeah. yeah. So I think that would have been my my repeat what about you, Matt? What was your repeat? <laughs> I, like mean, I threw it I out think, the window. I think you might have, but I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I believe, I'm trying to think what I picked. I think I picked Sexy Results, right? Yes. Because <laughs> um, it was the one I disliked the least. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good reason. I'm, so, I'm usually a little more. Um, no, I me. like the honesty. I, I just, it's not my bad. I didn't but, write it. Uh, it made me actually think to a band i was into that was a duo that was kind of um kind of loud um and kind of melodic as well years later was japan droids like i was really into that um and for some reason when i was listening to this album i felt like a little bit of a kinship but i was a lot more into into that record yeah yeah but um you know people would be surprised i think who kind of um hear me discuss certain records on on this podcast and elsewhere but like i actually do enjoy a good noise record like one of my favorite bands ever is health um but mm, like yeah. people wouldn't i don't know I, don't, I just don't know why i couldn't connect with this one but um but i do appreciate it's good noise and, and kind of experimental type stuff um you know some of the, some of my favorite shows i've ever seen through the years have been like godspeed and mogwai and all that kind of stuff so i can appreciate noise that's just what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I think that's a different lane. Like, I love yeah. I love that stuff, too. And, like, My Bloody Valentine, I remember seeing them live. I was like, I can't believe this is happening. But, like, yeah. 
this I feel like it's just I don't know maybe there's like a it's like a it's like a combination of like it is loud but it's still melodic it's not I wouldn't consider it noise I mean mm-hmm. maybe some parts of it and maybe a couple of tracks on it but mostly yeah it's definitely heavy at, at points a lot of yeah points, so. yeah yeah I mean I ended up picking Black History Month even though I hate that title and I was reading that they only titled it that because they wrote it in February (laughs) yeah (laughs) just like okay dude (laughs) but um again like you could have picked anything but okay yeah why not Valentine's Day right right? (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) but you know to me that was like the most appealing and that's probably the least aggressive song on the album maybe but as far as like skipping I picked pull out <laughs> yeah that's my skip yeah. <laughs> i don't need that song it's <laughs> <laughs> like, like the feeling that it gave me when he was like push him pull out let your spirit free just like oh <laughs> it's more like juvenile to me than anything else like it's definitely mm-hmm. gross but it's like i think just juvenile and i think that's probably more of a common theme on this record than i would have thought you know that at that time but yeah it's mm-hmm. it's not a favorite yeah <laughs> and i know matt you basically said you'd skip everything <laughs> i don't want to i don't want to sound any more negative i'm just gonna say <laughs> i've said what i've said <laughs> i'm like that uh, meme i said what i said i said what i said <laughs> oh i kind of thought matt that this would be your reaction <laughs> not in a bad way like oh, I just oh, yeah, kind yeah. of I was like I don't think Matt's gonna be into this but I was really into it I have to talk about it so no I'm glad listen <laughs> we've, I, I think that's you know that's part of the I think the magic of bringing on guests onto the podcast is to kind of delve into albums that you either weren't familiar with or didn't care for back in the day and kind of revisit so I'm glad to I think it'd be boring if we only talked about albums that we loved all the time yeah you know at least from my perspective yeah no No. i mean also like it's like an interesting way to like look at an album right like something that maybe didn't age well over time and um, (laughs) you know and then talk about that you know the feelings behind that you know because i feel like that must happen a lot to people you know and here we're actually like forced to like listen back to it and like really examine those feelings whereas most people would just not listen to the album ever again you know mm-hmm. but it's kind of cool to kind of go back and like really ex- re-experience them in like a modern lens and mm-hmm. kind of you know just examine what, ask what some all questions. that means yeah ask yeah. some questions i think that that for me actually was the most interesting thing about revisiting this album is kind of imagining it in the landscape of 2021 yeah, yeah. for sure yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay well, i feel like you know yeah we we covered dfa 79 pretty well we did uh, it Thank you so much, Marnie, for Thank being a you. guest on our podcast. And so nice to reconnect. I know. I know. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was so good to chat with you and see you and, yeah. you know, and I, we've yeah. known each other for such a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we live those memories, you know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I'm so happy to see you just, like, thriving and really, like, making a difference in the world and like i just hope that it all continues and you know good things keep keep coming to you likewise thank you (laughs) that's really sweet and same right back at you guys i love this podcast i love that you're doing this and i just you know i just adore you both so thank you so much for having me on of course of course Thanks again to Marnie for joining us for another episode of Mixtape Memories, and we will catch you soon. Bye. Bye.